Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very interesting guest with a very relevant topic. So we have Chris Roach. He is the CEO of Catalyst. And his story is very relevant because, well, he'll tell you more about it. But basically, he's moved from the UK to the US like when he was younger, played sports, this, the other. But he's also gone through multiple, let's say, career experiments, transitions, He used to work in a SaaS software company, and now he runs a digital marketing agency that is basically revolutionizing how we do marketing today based on what is relevant for us to have the results that we want. And I'm talking about us as individuals trying to do our side gig and us as fintechs and health techs and all those startup techs that we can think about. Uh, because marketing has changed. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. That was quite the introduction. I'm looking forward to uh, yeah diving into this with you and talking about some of the, the marketing techniques that you mentioned. Yes, yes, I'm really looking forward to it. So, basically, Chris and I met in LinkedIn. That's it. And that is very relevant, you know, like for the conversation that we're about to have, because we haven't really met met before through a friend or anything but it's like I followed him I like his content he reached out one day and then we started talking and we were like oh this is so cool we should do an episode together in summary yeah, absolutely <laughs> I wish we'd yes. uh, I wish we'd recorded our initial conversation because I know. we hit some really stellar topics on that initial what was supposed to be a 30 minute I think introduction and we were on for an hour and 15 or whatever I wish we'd uh, we'd recorded that as well Yes, me too. I, I really wish we did. <laughs> so didn't, given that we didn't, and then we're here now, can you tell us what has been your journey? Like, how yeah. did you end up doing what you are doing today? And why is it relevant to all of us right now? Yeah, I think in not to go too far back, I mean, just to touch very briefly on kind of history, getting to this point. So, you know, like you mentioned, I, I'm originally from England, came over at 18 to play college soccer, um, was very much, you know, athletic driven and realized that if I came to America to play a college sport, I could get an education and basically have a fallback for the pretty likely chance I wasn't going to go professional, which it turns out I didn't. So here we are. Um, so it was one of those where I wanted to have that fallback and I knew Business and marketing had always been something that interested me um, and entrepreneurship specifically. I've always been an entrepreneur right the way from in high school, selling sweets in school, keeping tabs of, you know, P&L from, you know, selling candy bars. Like that was nice. my experience growing up. And I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. My family was full of entrepreneurs who all owned their own businesses. So when I came to America, the first thing I, I started was a SaaS company that was going to help actually international soccer players 
come to America to play college soccer, kind of like a social network, like a LinkedIn, but specifically for athletic recruiting. And when I launched that platform, I learned a lot about the the right way to launch software, the right way to build software, and a lot about the wrong way to do that. And I made a ton of mistakes doing that. And in doing so, I also learned a lot in terms of just actually building software, marketing software, sales. And it gave me a lot of hands-on experience that really got me to the point where we were starting to have you know, considerable traction with the company. And at that point, I was then acquired by a software development agency where I jumped on as their VP of startup development and eventually progressed into their chief revenue officer. And we scaled you know, from a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to $3 million a year in you know, ARR. And at that point... I realized the skill set I had was really in the the ability to scale businesses, leveraging digital marketing. And a lot of the marketing that I do and I preach and I believe in is kind of contrary to a lot of what, you know, the classic B2B playbook of lead magnets, lead gen, kind of that MQL hamster wheel. So when I started my agency just, you know, nine, 10 months ago, I had a lot of traction, a lot of interest because what I'm doing is quite different. And the results you see tend to surpass when you actually break down the conventional, you know, B2B marketing. Yeah. And that's what I love about the story, you know, that you started the agency nine months ago. (laughs) And it's like kind of like during, not in the middle of COVID as such, but still during COVID times. And it's grown a lot. It has grown a lot. And and just to actually touch on, you know, COVID for me actually paved paved the way of where I could kind of sharpen my skill set with marketing because we we had historically as a, you know going back to the software development agency we had historically relied on going to pitch competitions going to networking events and meeting in person with startups introducing ourselves building relationships and then being able to eventually take on the software development as an outsourced kind of CTO or a fractional CTO for these companies and you know the company had done that historically for 3 or 4 years even before I you know joined the company And at that point, I was starting to get into LinkedIn. I was starting to get into digital advertising, leveraging Facebook and LinkedIn ads. And we saw with COVID, everybody went went home. Nobody could go and do anything. And our ads started to absolutely kill it. And at that point, that really, for me, was that kind of that that beacon of light of like, okay, this is the way to, you know, really market yourself to a very specific audience to really target your ICP. And I was very much focused on the kind of content that was educating, you know, our audience and was being consumed and not just trying to get them to submit a contact form because I knew that didn't work. And that was where, you know, I really started to understand how demand generation can impact a company, especially a B2B company. And that allowed me to, you know, further my skill set with that and then actually test that with some of my current clients actually oh. with the development agency because we were we were working with SaaS companies. So I was like, hey, try this, see if it works. It started to work. And that gave me the confidence to be able to jump off nine months ago and say, right, I'm going to help, you know, a very small group of B2B SaaS companies scale leveraging these techniques, which is, you know, because of how hyper-focused we are on the type of clients we work with, it has allowed us to grow, you know, really faster the last nine months and far faster than I really had anticipated. Um, And that was kind of, you know, that was a really eye-opening experience going from testing, implementing to scaling to now working with, you know, several organizations. I'm like, that is amazing. (laughs) So we are talking about you something doing, you doing something different that is basically getting results to your clients. And I said, you're revolutionizing basically the way that we're doing marketing. Before we go into that, you also mentioned, you talked about lead generation, lead gen. 
And then your thing, it's like demand gen. Before we go and deep dive into these topics, can you explain what is lead gen for anyone who's not a marketeer or just hasn't heard the term before? Yeah, so lead gen basically refers to trying to get somebody to submit contact information in exchange to pass along to a, usually a sales rep to then reach out, try and qualify and see if you can move them through that sales pipeline. So a lot of the assets that marketers use will be eBooks, white paper downloads, signing up for webinars. And when you type in your contact information, you'll enter a lead nurturing sequence, which could be email. It could involve SMS. It could be, you know, actual outreach, LinkedIn, whatever that sequence is. A lot of it is going to be automated. And the theory behind it is for every hundred contact submissions, let's say one of them is a qualified lead. So you can start to figure out how you can move people through that sales process. The issue with that, in my opinion, is that it's a very low conversion rate from submitting a lead to actually becoming a customer. And therefore you're kind of approaching people and you're, you're really getting people to submit their contact information, in my opinion, too early. So you're not qualifying them. You're not educating them. So that Mm. really is the philosophy behind lead gen is that you're going to get as many leads as possible, hand them over. And then your sales team is going to basically do the work for you in comparison or in contrast demand gen, what that refers to is two types of channels. So you have demand capture and you have demand generation. So demand capture is going to be your Google ads, your Bing ads, people who are searching high intent topics who are solution aware, but maybe not brand aware. So I'm looking for a podcasting software. So there are certain token modifiers that you can include to make it high intent. I'm looking for financial forecasting software, whatever that term is, that's going to be your demand capture. That's your one to 2% of your market who's in buying mode, who are trying to find a solution, but don't know which company to work with. In, in kind of comparison with that, or in addition to that, we've got demand generation, which is going to be creating that demand and really approaching the 98 to 99% of the market who isn't in buyer mode, but is in your target audience. So you target yeah. you know, your ICP, your ideal customer profile. You can you know, formulate a list of, let's say, 50,000 businesses, whatever that you know, number is, and start to produce content that's going to educate, is going to entertain, and is going to in- inform those people that make the buying decisions over a 12, 18, 24 month period so that when they enter that buying mode, they're not solution unaware or brand unaware. They know who you are. They know what you can offer. They know the pricing points. And then they can reach out to a, you know, account executive. They can submit contact information through the website that gets passed to a, you know, somebody, a senior level account executive who can handle closing deals. And you will see a shortening of sales cycles and you can do this, you know, over a, you know, basically it's it's a constant running 12 month approach. So everybody in your market is constantly being hit by your content so that the moment that they switch from, you know, just being interested to buyer mode, they know who you are and it's going to really increase the conversion rates. Yes. And I love that because let me summarize what you just said in normal terms for (laughs) non-marketeers, basically lead gen is the famous marketing funnel. When you go, you are either Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever on a website, and you see, enter your email to get a free report and the PDF of I don't know what. And then you enter into a funnel and they email you like a thousand times. And then you've entered your email so many times that you just kind of ignore all the -hmm. the marketing comes that you have in your email. And then what what we're saying is when we first spoke, you gave me like some statistics that it was basically 
point one signed up. It was like something ridiculous, like point yeah, zero so, I mean, one. To to break that down, and what we talked about in the initial call was, you know, focusing on consumption within a newsfeed versus driving to a landing page. So yes. to kind of, you know, relay that again, if I'm running a lead gen ad, so let's say I'm running a white paper report download. If I'm running that ad, I'm going to have maybe, let's say a 3% click through rate, which is pretty high for, you know, running those kind of ads. So 97% of people that see the ad don't click. So if we're running to, let's say a thousand people, 30 people are going to click to the landing page. Out of that, let's say there's a 10% conversion from landing page to submitting the contact information. Now we're talking about out of a thousand people, three of those are ever actually going to download that white paper download or whatever it is. Now for argument's sake, let's say one out of the three is going to actually read the paper. And then from there, and you can already see we're already at 0.1% from here. Let's assume that you have a 10% 10% conversion from downloads to, you know, becoming a customer, which if you're in the industry, you know, is ridiculously high. Now we're talking about a 0.01% conversion from impression to becoming a customer. So it's a very small percent and it's, it's focusing, you know, a lot of your budget in the wrong places. Whereas if you can focus your budget on demand generation and really focusing on the content being consumed without ever having to leave the platform. So when we talk about LinkedIn and we talk about Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or any of that, if we're running either carousel ads or video ads where you can be educated or you can learn about what that message is without having to leave the platform. Now we can focus on, let's say a 20% of those that get hit are going to you know, get to 75% of the way through the video, whatever those metrics are, you can focus on really increasing the consumption, which then means that you're educating much larger portions of your intended market. So that when you're doing this over a longer period, everybody in your market tends to be able to consume the content and it just makes them a lot more brand aware rather than focusing on just a download. Exactly. And that is super relevant because now, well, my experience and based on my, it's just my opinion right now, most of the products out there, it's just a bunch of features. It's the same FinTech product that you can find almost anywhere in the world. And within the same country, you'll find like different versions and yeah, they differentiate a little bit, but it's just a bunch of features and what makes the Mm -hmm. customer choose you over the competition is basically like being top of mind and that mm-hmm. brand affinity and brand awareness. And I like these guys and I'll work with them. I'll download their app versus the competition. And basically what we're saying is that demand gen is what it's helping us do be top of mind constantly so that when the customer is ready to purchase, it's like, oh yeah, I'll go with these guys because I know them. Yeah, exactly. And that refers to kind of a more of a, like a commodity style, you know, software where you say like, there's not a lot of difference between, you know, you and everybody else. But the difference is, everybody else is running the same marketing. They're all doing the webinars. They're all doing the white paper downloads. They're all doing the eBooks. And it's not working so that when you're, when you make that switch to demand gen, it starts to have a larger impact. And especially when you get into creating a lot of content, content like this that you can then repurpose for you know, LinkedIn ads and you can start to really create a personality behind the brand that then allows potential customers to buy into the CEO as a founder, the personal brand behind there, the individuals of the company, and then the type of clients that you work with. You get all of these insights without ever having to actually talk to somebody from the company so that when you do reach out, you're already 
already much further down that sales process. And if you are comparing, you know, a company that you know all this content to, to somebody that, all right, I'm just going to, you know, get a quote from this company, you have a much higher chance of closing that potential client if they already are invested in you as a company and like the founding story and like the brand that you have, you know, presented to them and the type of clients, you can dramatically increase that conversion rate. I have a big, big question there. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Chris, yes, all of that makes a lot of sense. However, if I need to go to Exco, convince anyone in Exco or convince CEO, and I'm like, hey, guys, we need to change our marketing strategy. I'm not for marketing, but I'm like, hey, I spoke with this guy. (laughs) And then it's like, I think we need to move towards uh, demand gen. And this is the concept. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, hey, Monica, it kind of makes sense. I get it. I get the theory. But how do we do it such that, especially because it's like a, like we said, like 12 months Mm -hmm. kind of period that you're going to educate your customer, potential customer. How do customers, how do customers, how do companies start building these type of uh, marketing strategies and move away from just a traditional Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's first of all, demand gen doesn't make sense for every company. If you're selling $40 t-shirts, don't do demand gen. It's not going to work. Just do straight, you know, direct response ads because that's going to be your best chance of running profitable campaigns. When you're selling something that has an ACV of above $10,000 per year, or, you know, that, that really is going to be, for me, the threshold where demand generation makes sense. When it comes to being able to convince a CEO to switch from lead gen to demand gen or a CMO, or even just help educate on what the benefits are. First thing you need to do is review the historical data. So look back over the last, let's say 12 month period. And this is a good starting point. Mm -hmm. Look back over the last 12 months and see what the conversion rates and the customer acquisition costs have been per channel that you're currently running. So if you are running webinars, if you are going to conventions, if you are going to conferences, if you're running Facebook lead gen, LinkedIn lead gen, whatever the different marketing campaigns that you have and the different strategies you have, break that down by the individual campaign. Look at the number of leads that it's created. Look at how many sales qualified opportunities have come from those leads. Look at that conversion rate. Then look at the closed one per channel over the last 12 months. And from there, you can figure out the customer acquisition cost. And we're not going to factor in commissions or anything with sales guys like we're just going to which there are but we're just going to focus on you know very rudimentary metrics with this figure out what the customer acquisition cost is per channel and from there see if you've spent two million dollars in the last 12 months on marketing across all these channels how many qualified opportunities that created and how many deals has it actually won and quite often when you break this down it's staggeringly low and people don't realize this and that's the difference is that People don't understand this. And a lot of the attribution software is set up to, you know, last touch attribution. It's not always necessarily the most uh, important metric that we're focusing on with this. So a lot of people don't understand, you know, just how low the conversion rates are. When you break that down and you show that and you prepare that and, and present that to a CEO or a CMO, quite often CMO should know this already, but as CEO, if you present that to them, it can be quite eye-opening. And then it's about presenting this as a solution to solve that same way if you're basically selling a product or service. You know, you identify the problem, you find where it hurts, and then you present a solution for that problem. So with this, then it's about understanding, you know, how demand generation works and being able to explain that very clearly. The fact that, listen, we're going to stop ungating all of our content. The content we have is good. The 
articles that we create, the, the eBooks, the white papers, it's all relevant, but it's too low a percentage of who's actually converting when we run this. And the cost per download is crazy high for the results that we get right now. So instead, let's focus on how we can repurpose that content, how we can test new initiatives and how we can, you know, if we're looking at conventions, hey, we spent... $200,000 in the last 12 months going to conventions and we didn't have a single customer and all we did was manage to pick up the bar tab for five clients. Like it's yeah. not, is that really a good use? Um, on would it be just as beneficial not to have a, a booth there and just send somebody there? You know, those are the kind of questions that you have to really look at. When you present this to a CEO, you really have to understand how the metrics and the KPIs are going to change because we're no longer looking at CPMs, cost per clicks, click-through rates, um, cost per downloads, because those metrics don't necessarily apply. Instead, what we're looking for is what the video view percentage are, what the frequency that we can hit people with, really focusing on the consumption of that content. And then by leveraging things like self-reported attribution, you can start to see when clients come in and they and you say, how did you hear about us? And they say, oh, I, you know, I saw on LinkedIn or I watched that podcast episode you did with Monica or whatever that is. You can start to see how the individual channels will directly affect revenue. And yeah. over the course of a 12 month period, it will dramatically increase the number of close one than if you're just running straight lead gen. And this move from lead gen to demand gen for most companies that are in the B2B space selling, you know, $50,000 ACV products, it's inevitable. What I think we're going to happen or what I think we're going to find in the next honestly, 12 to 18 months is that mm -hmm. this, this switch from lead gen to demand gen is going to accelerate because of the fact that we're already seeing all these layoffs in tech companies, budgets are going to get tighter and you can't afford to spend $250,000 and not show that you have a return on that. We can't just throw money and just hope that it works. You need to have these metrics really figured out and locked in. And over the next 18 months, that, that switch from lead gen to demand gen is going to accelerate and companies that can make that switch now will succeed. Those that can't will get left behind in the next 12 months that is a very powerful statement can you repeat why why are they going to get why? left behind yes yes because... why are some going if they implement this now in 12 months time they're the ones that are going to succeed but if you you continue doing what you're doing because those... for most companies what they're doing isn't working they just don't realize So when you're looking at this and you have these enormous wasted budgets that are going into uh, conferences, into conventions, into you know the MQL hamster wheel, most companies don't realize that their marketing is not actually resulting in the amount of revenue that they are forecasting and that their sales team is overinflated. They have you know an enormous overhead with the sales team simply because they need to have somebody going and actually following up with all these leads that are never going to close. So you create this really kind of weird, you know, kind of double entendre that you have all these leads that aren't going to close to support the sales staff who isn't going to close the leads who then gets frustrated. And you have this very expensive sales staff. Whereas if you focus on switching to demand generation, not only can you actually shrink the size of the sales team that you needed to actually close the deals because you're going to see increased conversion rates, increased qualification, increased qualified opportunities. You're going to see a smaller team needed to close the same amount of deals. You're going to have less potential opportunities coming through the pipeline until they get to a qualified opportunity. So you're going to have less wasted time, be more efficient with that. So as a SaaS company that's, you know, has pressure from investors, or if I have an overinflated uh, valuation, which I'm pretty sure every SaaS company right now has realized that they have, and you know, I think they've realized for a while, but it's become more apparent now, you have these overinflated valuations, you have to make cuts, where can you do that? First thing you're going to cut is your marketing budget. And if you're now going from $2 million to $1 million marketing budget, 
that million dollars has to be used very, very effectively. And if you put that into demand generation, you can have better results than what you may have with the $2 million previously. So it's about understanding the best way to use that budget. And until you break down per channel, you won't know what you don't know. So you don't realize where you're actually losing money. Cool. I'm like, that's a really good answer. <laughs> it's like, that is cool. How is there any difference on the work that you do between industries? Let's say we have fintechs, we have health techs, prop techs, because you work a lot with startups, basically, tech startups. Do these principles, have you seen that they apply roughly the same across industries? Yeah, across industries, I've not noticed a large discrepancy between the effectiveness of demand generation. What it really comes down to is where you're, you know, we talked about the ICP earlier, you know, your ideal customer profile. And we talk about ICP and, and targeting these with demand generation. It's not about who could your product maybe benefit, you know, who is your ideal customer profile, the type of customer that gets your sales team salivating. Like those are the people that you want to focus with this. So when you're targeting the ICP, where are they? Where are they hanging out? Where are they, where are you going to be able to produce content that can be consumed in a way that feels natural and not forced. So for instance, LinkedIn, if you're selling to a lot of you know, executives, LinkedIn is a great option and it's very easy to target on LinkedIn. You can size up the audience. The standard rule of thumb is 40% adoption rate. So if there's 100,000 people on an audience, 40,000 of those are going to be active on LinkedIn. So you know how to prepare a budget to go after those, to hit them with a frequency of once a day. And over every 30 days, you just change the content that you're putting in front of them. And over time, they will become educated. So as long as your audience is in the place that you're running ads, you're not going to have an issue when it comes to, you know, across industries. Now, if you find that your audience is all for instance, you know, right now there's a lot with, um, you know, web 3.0 and these, you know, other platforms, LinkedIn may not be the best option for you. Twitter may, may be a much better option for you. And therefore, in terms of the budget allocation, if we have a $50,000 a month budget, where you allocate that budget is going to ultimately drive the results. And over time, yeah. you will fine tune and tweak that uh, and you'll be able to you know, have the most efficient kind of use of that budget. That's really the only discrepancy as to what that makeup of the budget mix is. Not necessarily will demand generation work. It will work. You just have to put it in a way that it's actually being consumed. Because if you're targeting a platform where you know, if you're targeting a lot of uh, content creators and you're targeting them on Snapchat or Instagram, and you, for whatever reason, that industry is not there, then that obviously is not going to work. Whereas if you're focusing more on TikTok, that's where a lot of content creators are now moving to. And that may be a better use of, you know, your budget, but you don't know that until you test it and you have to continually test that and tweak that budget to where you have the most, basically the, the most optimal breakup of that budget across platforms. That is a very good point. You raised the word testing. And basically, for anyone who doesn't work either in marketing or let's say a startup or agile environment, like testing is just like the bread and butter of the business. <laughs> like everything. Oh, it's constantly. Yeah, yeah you're constantly is... testing, you're constantly yeah. tweaking. It's, I, might, I mean, my clients will speak to this as well. I mean, I'm, I'm a savage when it comes to getting into the data and being able to look at like that's that's really where I can you know that's where I enjoy you know, looking back at testing and saying hey like this is resulting in this this is really where we're going to have to you know let's try this let's tweak this into here it's a very analytical approach demand generation is this combination of kind of science and art in the way that you have to have these 
beautiful looking, you know, carousels that are going to, you know, engage and be able to educate and the messaging has to be spot on. But the scientific approach has to also be looked into, the, you know, is it being consumed? Are the platforms, are we hitting the right audience? Are we getting feedback, you know, from our self-reported attribution over a three month period that people are coming from these channels? And after six months, if you don't have a single qualified opportunity that's mentioned that, hey, I saw your Instagram post it's probably not a great channel for you. And if everybody is, you know, citing LinkedIn as the, as the way that they found your business, double down on that channel to where you can continually start to have results. And that's where, again, it, it's, it's constantly fine tuning and tweaking. It's almost like a mechanic, you know, looking under the hood of a car, you're constantly tweaking and being able to optimize the campaigns. And that's where, you know, when a lot of, a lot of companies that come to me and have that initial conversation, you know, we talk about that roadmap, we move from yeah. the first phase, which is a lot of research, a lot of looking into, you know, what's been done historically, reviewing data and seeing any potential opportunities or even red flags that we you can see in the historical data, then we get into the initial testing of campaigns over a two to three month period, then it's about optimizing and being able to become ultra efficient with that budget. So we can drive the most qualified pipeline for your budget. And that's why when you know, with Catalyst and the way that Catalyst is set up, we're not just a standard marketing agency, I've no interest in producing, um, you know, organic posts for you on Facebook, I'm not gonna, you know, run Google ads for the dentist down the road, like that's not the goal of Catalyst, we're a revenue and pipeline focused marketing agency and we very much look to have the strongest result for you as a you know you as a client in terms of generating that pipeline for you very big question so right now you just caught my attention let's say as a tech person in a startup so like as funding is drying up basically the metrics that investors are looking for it's not just like, oh, get me more users. It's not just acquisitions, but everybody's starting to look more into revenue making. That's it. Monthly active users engagement and revenue making. And mm -hmm. now you just made a claim basically saying, if you implement this well, the goal is not just to do like nice marketing ads, but to increase revenue. It's like you were the revenue chief, the chief revenue officer, you know, in your previous role. Can you yeah, and that's, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, can you expand on how this helps to drive revenue, how this change helps to drive revenue? Yeah, first and foremost, I have quite a unique background because like you mentioned, I was previously a chief revenue officer who also handled all of the marketing for a quite a large software company. So I I really was a hybrid between a CMO and a CRO um, because we were you know, we were growing fast and we just never hired somebody to do that. So I had to kind of do both roles. So from that standpoint, you know, a lot of people talk about having an alignment between sales and marketing. Well, I ran sales and marketing for that company. So I was very much, I had to be aligned. I was the same person. So for me, I was seeing how you could directly attribute that and how we were driving closed one and opportunities. So when it's the same approach now that I take with clients that we're working with at the moment, in terms of being able to drive revenue, revenue is always a North Star for any of the marketing. So I'm not looking at a cost per qualified opportunity as, okay, well, we've been doing this and you know that's resulting well. LinkedIn has the lowest cost per qualified opportunity, but none of those deals are closing. That's really where we take a step back and we continue to monitor those conversion rates over time. And the customer acquisition cost is ultimately the metric that I view as the most important. Not any of the vanity metrics, not click-through rates, you know, CPMs, you know, any of that. It's really focused on which channels are going to result in the lowest customer acquisition cost in mm -hmm. terms of being able to actually 
attribute that back. And I know I've touched on it briefly. This self-reported attribution is going to allow you to understand which channels are resulting in clients and potential clients coming through the door and being able to talk to, you know, a senior account executive or whoever that is. So this self-report attribution, when you leave this field blank and you ask people, Hey, how did you hear about us? They will go into detail more often than not. It's actually quite interesting. Going to couple of my clients were a little bit hesitant. They had the drop down. You have the drop down of a, uh, how did you hear about us? Nine times out of 10, people just pick the top one because it's, it's easy. It's it easy. requires, yeah. it requires less work. And, you know, as humans as nature, people just tend to try and make the easiest, you know, kind of path through that. When you ask them how they heard about you, they'll say, Hey, I saw that podcast episode you did with Monica. I loved where you were talking about self-reported attribution. I loved when you were talking about demand generation, you know, could we, you know, set up a call? That's the kind of detail that people go into because I have it on my own website. So I'm seeing it through Catalyst. I'm seeing it through my clients. People go into a lot of detail with this and you can start to understand what's moving the needle in terms of bringing potential customers in. And once you understand that, there's a little bit of manual work of basically classifying that, hey, this would be, you know, quote unquote podcast as a a source of revenue. You know, there's a little bit of manual qualification and, and manual work that has to be done afterwards to basically attribute that to the correct categories. But when you're not having 10,000 MQLs come in per month, it doesn't matter because we're not we're not going for volume, we're going for quality. And that's the difference. So when you start to attribute that and you can see how that's influencing revenue, you can really start to understand the potential of demand generation. And over, a, again, a nine to 12 month period, it really does, it's a compound effect. It really accumulates. And that's where when people you know, and potential clients, when we get on these introductory calls with, you know, SaaS founders who just raised $10 million and want to have this conversation. The biggest question that I'll kind of ask is, you know, what's your, what's your long-term goal with this? And, and how, how long can you wait till you need to see results? Because this doesn't happen in 14 days. And that's where that's we look into, true. you know, what are your historical sales cycles? Oh, well, we have a 270 day sales cycle for a $20,000 product. That's way too long. But the, the metrics that you need to judge this campaign can't be 14 days, 30 days, 60 days. It has to be viewed with a long-term lens. And when you do that and you allow the campaigns to mature, that's when you're going to see the largest return on investment, not in that initial kind of three-month window. Awesome. Now that you're talking about kind of clients having these expectations and we've talked about basically knowing where your customer hangs out and who's your ideal client like for you as Chris and Catalyst who's your ideal client like who who are the type of startups or companies that you like working with yeah I I mean I, I love working with B2B SaaS companies predominantly for me I found a really sweet spot at the moment working with series a some seed funded companies uh, who are really just starting to invest heavily into their you know marketing budget maybe they're spending anywhere from the low side 15 20,000 dollars a month all the way up to you know 100 150,000 dollars a month as we start to move into these more mature campaigns these kind of clients are the clients that have historically relied on introductions from VCs, from cold outreach, from personal relations of the founder, from just, you know, press releases to be able to really go and acquire customers. And they don't have a fully flushed out marketing strategy yet. And that's Mm. really where I think I can have the most influence with clients is helping them understand, first of all, what these metrics are, how to calculate them, how to even process this in the hub in in HubSpot or the CRM as well, because that's something that, you know, whenever I have a conversation with uh, potential new clients, I can always make the bet that if I get into their CRM, 
it's a shit show. Nothing is organized. <laughs> it's just every time I, I don't know what it is about, you know, it is a early stage, early stage <laughs> companies. They just, yeah, just CRMs just are not, you know, not kept to the standard where they need to be. And it's, it's fine when you, when, again, when you're first starting off, but when you want to move from raising, you know, 1 million, 2 million, $5 million, all the way up to raising that 50, that $60 million that round, when you're going to that next level, these are the kind of things that we have to have ironed out. So for me, that's been a really, a really interesting sweet spot that I seem to have attracted those kind of clients over the last nine months of that kind of, you know, raise that high six figures, low seven figure raises, and then being able to help them flush out this concept and then scale a campaign that's becoming them profitable to then go out and either raise more capital or ultimately become profitable as a company. Because obviously a lot of these guys aren't profitable when they come to me, it's about helping them figure that out. And that's been a really interesting opportunity that's kind of i guess i've learned over the last you know several months of doing this that's who seems to have been drawn to me and those are where i've had the most success and that's a beautiful niche because basically for anyone who's in the startup world like the beginning like you start and you're like testing you're like oh it's working oh it's not working and then like it starts working right and then you're like oh the company is growing and it may be messy it's a startup so there's uncertainty but then to take it from there to the next level like you say it's different to raise four million versus 60 million so something it's like something needs to change and basically it seems like you help companies raise their game yeah it's a different ball game when you move from like you say those different stages and also having someone that has the experience and also can kind of be a calming presence of the cost per click went up this week. Don't worry about it. You know, things like that, you know, those are the kind of metrics mm-hmm. of when we look at this over a longer time period, having someone that has more of a calming presence that understands exactly what the metrics mean allows you as a CEO or founder to not have to worry about that. You know, one of the, you know, the biggest feedback that I get with clients, because I regularly sit down with clients and ask, you know, Hey, how can this service be improved? Because I want to constantly be evolving my services, Catalyst Consulting, you know, with my small team to be able to understand how we can better serve our clients. And a lot of the positive feedback we get is it's very low touch point in terms of the fact that, you know, we're not, we're not having to be hands-on with you as Catalyst. You know, you're telling us what to do. That's the difference is that we're really consulting with them and being able to implement those campaigns and basically providing clarity and transparency into what's been done, what's working, what's not working and how we're going to continue to evolve this. Whereas a lot of founders, you know, if they are earlier on, they don't necessarily have that expertise to be able to do so. And then another thing that we've seen quite a lot is that, you know, these companies that raise money, the first thing they want to go and do is hire a director of demand. Now to hire a director of demand, you have to understand how to do demand generation. So to be able to actually hire somebody to do that, you know, and you're paying these guys, you know, 120, $150,000 a year, you know, FTE with benefits with, you know, everything else on top of that, if you don't qualify them well enough, you can also start to see, you know, not to mention the marketing budget that they could potentially waste. It's a very large risk to hire somebody as a director of demand. If you're a startup that's just raised money right off the bat, just because you don't have any ability to qualify them. Whereas with someone like a, an agency and, you know, working with someone like Catalyst, we can help you understand how to do that. And then quite often, if they have somebody that's internal as a marketing person, we can help almost 
not train, but help them understand the metrics so that they can start to evolve into taking this over maybe in a 12 month period. You know, they can start to really understand how to take the reins. And then we maybe take a step back and act more as a consultant than necessarily managing on a day to day. But it removes a certain element of risk that I think a lot of founders run into and make that mistake. They raise the money, they go out and hire, they suddenly have, you know, $5 million to spend. But there's enormous risk when you hire someone that doesn't know what they're doing, specifically with demand generation being such a new technique, right? now if you don't get the right person you're going to burn through a lot of budget before you even realize that it's not working oh that sounds like a big mistake expensive mistake yeah you learn fast you learn fast from it though i have clients (laughs) that have made that mistake prior and you do tend to learn fast from it (laughs) yes i can imagine um so we've talked a lot about b2b basically this works really well for b2b how can companies B2C companies apply the same concept? It's, it depends on what you're selling as B2C. So I work actually with a lot of uh, financial institutions, so financial services, so 401k planning, you know, retirement planning. Because of the, the size, and I don't want to say the size of the value because you obviously the value is obviously helping somebody retire and understand their financial well-being, but the, the, in theory, the ACV of that particular, you know, that particular customer is large enough where demand generation makes sense. And that's the difference is when we talk about that $10,000 threshold, if you're selling swimming pools for $70,000 and you have a margin that's high enough where this makes sense in a certain location, demand generation can be very effective because it's the same approach that you would take with B2B. So when we talk about this, it really, to me, depends on the, the size of the, the project and the size of the contract that you can really have on the backside of this. Like I said earlier, if you're selling t-shirts for $45, don't do this. You won't, you won't make a return on it. It just doesn't make sense. You have to be selling you know, 10,000 t-shirts at a time. It just doesn't add up. Whereas when you're looking at this with larger you know, financial services, 401k planning, um, and, and you know any retirement planning and things like that. This approach can be used to educate your potential audience, and specifically if you work in, it's even better if you're working in a very specific location. So if you're looking at, you know, you have five different office buildings in five states and everybody in your client base comes within a 50 mile radius of that office building, you can target very specific locations, educate those potential basically customers on the way that your company operates on the services that you offer, continue to help them understand why working with you would be an advantage. And most of the time, you know, if you're selling B2C, they may have, you know, somebody else that they're working with, it may be trying to transition them away, but it's not an impulse buy. So you still have to go to that same approach that you would be to be. And I've done that with clients right now. And it's very, very effective as long as you apply the same strategies and are able to have that same long-term lens, knowing that, you know, whatever that sales cycle is, it's just in my experience in B2C, the documentation and the historical data and understanding is slightly less organized than in B2B. It's a lot more of, you know, hey, they came to the office, they came through the door, whatever that is. Whereas if you can focus on, you know, documenting this process and and keeping that same regimented organization, it can be extremely effective. Awesome. I'm like, every answer has been like, so educational. That is the word. It's like, it is educational, but not educational just in terms of theory that I will not use again. Right. It's not like, it's not a nice to know. It's a, oh, good, good thinking behind it and it's like how can I apply that to my business or at least how can I think about those concepts into my business 
and that's and that's honestly my hope with with coming on podcasts like this you know there's if there's somebody listening here that you know ends up reaching out to catalyst great you know that's obviously a win but really it's about helping people understand how this approach can be implemented and really what the significant opportunity that you're missing is by not doing this at the moment and you know similar to you know what i mentioned earlier in terms of you know working for a development shop um you know kind of being in that marketing sales role I've realized that a lot of marketers tend to be very analytical and tend to be very technical. And where I think I differ is that, yes, I have the, you know, the technical ability and the analytical understanding, but because of my experience from selling software to non-technical founders, from my experience working with SaaS founders that just simply don't have these metrics figured out, the way that I'm able to explain a lot of the marketing helps you as a founder or you as a podcast host understand what I'm talking about without going too in yes. into the weeds with it and that's where i think a lot of you know a lot of marketers in the space you know very top class marketers understand exactly what i'm talking about but being able to explain that and really then report that in a way that's actually useful for not only the ceo of you know the SaaS company but also their investors put together reports that can actually be meaningful that's something where a lot of companies miss out on and that's really what we pride ourselves on at catalyst is being able to you know make sure that everybody understands the benefits and what's like i say what's working what's not working and what we're going to do to you know continue to increase that yes because that at the end of the of the day that's what matters it's not just running a campaign it's a we as a team or as a company, we need to understand what we're doing and then yeah. basically assess what we're doing. Is it having the results that we want? Yes. No? Okay, let's change, basically. Exactly. That, that's what the team has to do, like assess each other's decisions based on mm -hmm. numbers. So we are coming towards the end of the episode. Where can we find you? Yeah, best place to find me is honestly going to be LinkedIn. Um, I know you mentioned earlier, I produced a ton of content on LinkedIn. I'll be repurposing this entire episode as well. I, everything that I'm doing is on LinkedIn at the moment. Um, so definitely check me out on there. I assume with the episode, there'll be links and stuff like that. Uh, if you definitely. are interested in reaching out to, you know, to Catalyst and kind of scheduling an initial, you know, we basically do an initial consultation. It's 30, 40 minutes, um, sometimes longer, where we can basically just kind of like this, talk about the ways that we do it, understand a little bit more about, the type of services that you offer as a SaaS company, the type of marketing that you've been doing historically and, and see if it would be a good fit because not everybody is. Uh, if you're interested in, you know, going that route, definitely head to our website, which is catalystconsulting.services. You know, just book a, a consultation on there and either myself or someone from my team will take that initial call, be able to have, you know, that conversation with you. And then if you're looking for what I would say, my library of content is a way I've started branding mm. it now go to my TikTok because obviously you can see all the videos and all the snippets yeah. and everything there. So if you're ever looking to just binge out on demand generation content, you know, my TikTok is definitely be the best because it's, it's really all good. there. It's, <laughs> it's like, uh, I've done that now. It's no, like, I appreciate it. I've checked it out. It's really good. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my library of content. So just, yeah, go there. And that's got um, a ton of educational content like this. And you can obviously, uh, you know, be able to consume all of that as well. Amazing. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And everyone, see you next week. Hope you enjoyed and sending you much love. Ciao, ciao.